John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. <coughs> this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified throughout it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whatever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her, her sister Mary aside. 
The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Let's get straight into God's word, shall we? John 11, hope you open you, you're in your Bibles or on your tablets or phones or whatever. John 11 is ultimately the reason why we're Christians and why we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason for that is that it takes us to what is probably the most traumatic experience in life. The death of a loved one, whether it's a brother, in this case, or a sister, or parents, or children, or a marriage partner. When that happens, the world stops. Nothing else is important anymore. The heart is broken, desperate, nothing comforts, a sense of loss, immense, 
And here there are no nationalities, no cultures. We all share the same experience. Some of you know what that's like. <coughs> and some of you have experienced it before your time. Because at some time in your life, all of us will go through this trauma. All of us will experience what goes on in John 11. You can't escape it. The shock, the horror, the trauma of seeing someone you love taken from you. You're going to experience that. When Lazarus was gravely ill, his sisters, Martha and Mary, sent an urgent message to Jesus. He was only a day's journey away. He was over there by the River Jordan. Lord, the one you love is ill. And Martha and Mary clearly expected that on receiving this message, Jesus would immediately come and heal him. So we might have expected to read in verse 6, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he went immediately to him. But he didn't. But he didn't. He stayed where he was two more days. Now if we'd been orchestrating this, Jesus would have hurried off to Bethany, just outside Jerusalem, and he would have healed Lazarus. Or he might have just spoken the word that would have healed Lazarus, as he did the centurion's servant. And it would have prevented all the immense pain and trauma that Martha and Mary were going through. Can you for imagine, imagine what the, uh, these sisters were going through as they saw their, their hopes shattered, Lazarus becoming more and more ill until the moment comes when he breathes his last and it's over. Lazarus is gone. And they have no choice but to enshroud his body and put him into the family tomb and then seal it with a great stone. And for four days they mourn. And their friends and their family all gather and they mourn as well for four days. But their pain is not only the loss of Lazarus, but the sense of being let down by the one they trusted in. You can almost hear the rebuke in Martha's voice in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says exactly the same thing when she sees Jesus. So it's something that they must have talked about and shared. Even some of the mourners said, verse 37, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I wonder what reception 
the messengers received when they came back to Martha and Mary. And Jesus was not with them. Can you imagine how they must have been questioned? Did you tell him how ill Lazarus was? Did you tell him we were relying on him? Why didn't you bring him with you? Why didn't he come with you? Why didn't he speak the word of healing? So many questions. Why? Why? The sisters just couldn't understand it. All their hopes had been dashed. And the message they received from Jesus didn't help either. This illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. That's the message they got back. And there is Lazarus, dead, and in the tomb, and four days dead, and no sign of Jesus. When Martha later sees Jesus, she says in verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I don't think she had any thoughts about Lazarus rising from the dead at that moment. Why? Because when the Lord asked to see the tomb and have the stone removed, she objected and she said, by this time there's a bad odour. No! Jesus, however much you want to show respect for our dead brother, that's a step too far. Let him be. She saw the tears of Jesus. But even then, no, look, just leave the stone where it is. So what does she mean? I think Martha thought that Jesus' coming and prayers would bring comfort and peace and help to this grieving family. Like the visit of a pastor or a Christian friend to a troubled member of the church, their coming brings a measure of help. Their presence in time of need just helps them. I don't think she had any greater expectation than that. Thanks for coming, Jesus. It helps. You've perhaps said that yourself, maybe, in these circumstances. Now this morning, my friends, I wonder whether you've been ever in a situation like this. Your world collapsing around you, and inside you are echoing those same doubts about God's love for you. You put your trust in Jesus, but it doesn't work out as you had planned. And you feel let down by the Lord. The Lord doesn't seem to hear your prayers. They go unanswered. Your worst fears are realised. 
You wonder why the Lord allows it to happen. And he seems distant and away. Now we have the benefit of knowing how this all ends. The sisters didn't. And many times in life, we stand in their shoes, in the shoes of the sisters, and feel exactly what they feel. So let's delve a little deeper into this. <coughs> Firstly, I want us to look at the message that the sisters sent, because it's really quite remarkable. Lord, the one you love is ill. Now just think about that for a moment. Just think about the message they sent. It's wonderful. They couldn't have put up a better prayer, a better plea. Because we would have said, Lord, the one who loves you is ill. And they would have appealed to Lazarus's love for Jesus. But they appealed not to Lazarus's love for Jesus, but for Jesus's love to Lazarus. <coughs> Lord, the one you love is ill. You see, it shows something, something important. It shows that they had already begun to rely not on their love for him, but his evident love for them. I am always happier and more confident singing hymns and songs about Christ's love for me than my love for him. And I think it's always a more fruitful way to begin our prayers when we think about God's love for us rather than our love for him. Start in the right place. And something else about their message. They, the word they use for love, Lord, the one you love is ill. The word they used was philio in the Greek. It's a common Greek word for love. A, a man would love his wife with philio. But he'd also love his dog or his horse or whatever else was in his house with philio. It's the love of affection, the love of respect, the, the love of like. But when John records Jesus' love for this family in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It's a different word altogether. It's agape. And that word was unique to the lips of Jesus. It was an unused word in the Greek vocabulary. It was empty of any significant meaning until Jesus adopted it and used it and poured into that word all the significance of God's love for sinners and his special love for his children. And why is this important? Because in this story, Jesus is expressing the deep, deep love of God for them. John wants us to know that this family are special to him. They are precious to him. 
that there is nothing he won't do for them. That what happens here comes out of the deep, deep love of God for them. We really do need to see that before we read on in the story. Because what happens next seems completely contrary to that. So Jesus stayed where he was two more days. He purposely stayed where he was and said, This illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. That's an incredible statement that we can easily just walk over and and, and move on to something else. Our Lord attaches his glory to God's glory. God will be glorified when I am glorified. That's what our Lord is saying. Now you can't imagine Peter or Paul or Moses, or anyone else in the Bible ever saying that. The response of godly people throughout the Bible is not unto us, not unto us, O Lord, but unto your name be glory. That's what you say, isn't it? That's what you've been taught to say, and rightly so. (laughs) But what Jesus says is... God will be glorified when I am glorified. Now there's something very similar to that in John 5, where Jesus says the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Now listen to this. He who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Do you see how remarkable those words are? This is the great question the New Testament continually throws at us. Who is this person who speaks like this? Who is this person who declares that if you don't honour him, you cannot honour God? I never tire of quoting C.S. Lewis uh, in his book, Mere Christianity. So what he says. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the, the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, they say, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any (coughs) patronising nonsense about him being a great 
human teacher. He has not left that door open to us, and he did not intend to. It's in this story that we probably have the greatest statement Jesus ever made while he walked on earth. And it's verse 25, and it's the words to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus claims the power to raise the dead and give them life that death cannot destroy. And this power, not as a channel through which God works, not through the power of God, but in his own name. See, that's the point. In his own name, that he himself is the resurrection and the life. That's what separates Jesus from every prophet, every teacher who, who was before or after him. That he himself is the author and giver of life. That in him is life. And that death, the great curse of mankind, has been conquered and eradicated in him. And what better proof of that than to go to the tomb of a dead man Four days dead, stinking, his body stinking, and by his word alone, raise him to life. He didn't touch him, he didn't anoint him, he just spoke to him. <coughs> the raising of Lazarus from the dead was probably the greatest of all Jesus' miracles. In fact, it was really only the hors d'oeuvre, the starter before the main course, the greatest event in the whole history of the world, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead after he'd been crucified on the cross and buried in a tomb. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, he would come back with the same body with which he had died and his sisters would have to go through uh, the agony and the trauma of him dying all over again at some later point. But when Jesus died, he rose again with a resurrection body, never to die. A body glorious, powerful and eternal. Forever proof that there is life after death for those who believe and trust in him. Now what Jesus says here about God's glory, and these words go to Martha and Mary, what he says here about God's glory is, what he shows is that he's working to a different agenda to them. A different agenda to uh, Martha and Mary and the disciples, a different priority, that there was something more important than the immediate healing of Lazarus. And that was the glory of God. 
Jesus said something similar in John 9 when answering the disciples' questions about why this man had been born blind. Jesus said this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now I suggested then and I suggested again now this is a completely different perspective on life. This is a different way of looking at it, at life itself and the things of life. It's trusting God to be glorified in a particular situation. When you and I came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, wasn't your response to such grace shown to you? Lord, in my life, be glorified. Be glorified. Be glorified today. Perhaps you've sung that. In my joys, in my sorrows, in my pleasures, in my disappointments, in my laughter, in my pain, be glorified today. Whenever we embrace our trials, and desire God to be glorified through them. We imitate our Saviour, who came into this world not to do his own will, but to do the will of him who sent him. And this is what we do as Christians. We commit our life into God's hands, believing that his love for us is too great to ever do us harm, and his wisdom too great to ever get it wrong. That's what we do. That is the life of a Christian. The only way to be happy in the Christian life is to trust and obey. So we say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and trust that he will make your path straight. Now let's move on and just think about the disciples of Jesus. Because they were just as confused as the sisters. For two days Jesus continued his ministry on the other side of the Jordan River. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And the response of the disciples was, no, but Rabbi, last time we were there, they tried to kill you. Much safer. Stay where we are. Having a very productive ministry here. Let's stay where we are. But the disciples had read Jesus wrong again. Jesus was driven by a much higher consideration than his own safety. He says to them, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Carpe diem. Carpe diem. Seize the day. That's what our Lord is saying. You can't always do the safe thing 
as a Christian in following Jesus. Sometimes you have to take risks in order to do what's good and what's right. If you believe something to be good and useful and for God's glory, then if you have the opportunity, do it and trust God for the result. Don't try and work out what the result will be. Trust him for the result. Opportunities to do good do come. The Spirit of God inside us inspires us to do good. Take them while you can. It's better to do God's will in the light than be safe in the dark. I love the response of Thomas here in verse 16. Let us also go that we may die with him. We usually associate Thomas with his doubts, but that is to miss the love that he had for Jesus and his willingness to put his life on the line and die with Jesus, if that is what it means. And the disciples not only got it wrong about Judea, they got it wrong about Lazarus as well. Jesus had said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going there to wake him up. And they assumed they were going back to Judea so that Jesus could wake him up from some feverous illness that had laid him on one side in a bed or whatever. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead and I am going there to wake him up. Do you see what Jesus calls death? He calls it a sleep. He calls the death of one who loves the Lord sleep. Sleep is, when it describes the death of a believer, is one of those special words that belong to us. It's one of our special words, like born again. It only belongs to us. Other people steal it. They don't deserve it. They don't, not theirs. That's our word. And so is sleep. Such a wonderful word that our Lord uses to describe the death of believers. Just think about it for a moment. Sleep is just such a welcome rest, isn't it? A relief from the labours of the day. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. They will rest from their labours. They'll rest from their struggles. And sleep is perfectly harmless. Nothing's going to happen to you while you're asleep. It's not like you've got power tools or you're turning a lathe or something or you're at work and someone may attack you. When you go to sleep, you're, you're pretty confident. You're going to be all right. Christ has taken the sting out of death to make it harmless to his people. And perhaps most of all, it describes the ease with which the Lord raises the dead to just wake them up. I love that little story about uh, Jairus' daughter. 
little girl. Get up. Time to get up. It's what your parents say to you. It's as gentle as that. It's as loving as that. Just as well Jesus called Lazarus by name, because if he hadn't, all the dead would have arisen. That's what Jesus says in, in John 5, 24. Time is coming as now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And he will do it with the ease of waking those who are asleep. And then finally, let's move on to Jesus' meeting with Martha and Mary. I love Jesus' words to, to Martha in verse 23 when he meets her because they're a, they're, they're a masterpiece of ambiguity that just, they're just are trying to draw out something. Your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. <coughs> now at one level, those words could be taken as no more than the kind of comfort that you'd give to uh, a believing family at the loss of one of their loved ones. They are with the Lord. You will see them again at the resurrection. They're in a far better place. Your brother will rise again. And that's how Martha understood it. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Well done, Martha. Well done, Martha. For 2,000 years, we have been echoing Martha's faith. For 2,000 years, we've been laying our loved ones down in the earth with that belief. We will see them again at the resurrection of the dead. But then Jesus turns our eyes away from that distant horizon and he turns them to himself and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that wonderful? The Christian faith is Christ-centred. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. We sang it this morning. Let nobody else take his place. And he says to her, do you believe this? Do you believe in me? Do you believe in me? That's what he's saying. Do you believe in me? I am the resurrection and the life. And she answers, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ. Your eyes are on him. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. That's believing faith. That's looking to the one that God sent into the world to be our Saviour and Lord. I believe that. 
not for a single moment did Martha or Mary, were they really prepared for what happened next. Jesus asked for the stone to be removed and called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And we read, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips, strips of linen and a cloth round his face. I love, I love the way that it's, John has put that. The dead man came out. Not the living one, but the dead man came out. It was beyond their wildest dreams and hopes. It was when all hope had gone from them. It was more than they could have conceived or expected. My friends, we have a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. A God who has prepared for those who love him what no eye has seen what no ear has heard and what no mind has conceived. A God who comes to us when all hope is gone. A God who turns disaster into triumph. Isn't that what the cross is all about? Isn't the supreme example of that, the cross? The worst of man's wickedness and evil that they crucified the Lord of glory, they took the one who was full of grace and truth and they murdered him. But in the plans and purposes of God, it was for the salvation of the world and it was Christ's most glorious hour. He spoke of it as his glory, not the resurrection, but the cross. The cross. My friends, when you put your life in Christ's hands, he will do with you more than you expect. He will make your life meaningful. He will give significance to all the events that make up your life however random they may seem to you. He will turn darkness into light and he will turn triumph and death into life. Unless the Lord comes first, your body will die. It has to, to make way for the resurrection body. There's no alternative to that. You can't wish to live forever in this body. It's not worthy. A better one coming. But the new life that you receive now, when you believe, the new person you become, the new relationship you have with God, the new ambitions, the new joys, the new sorrows, the new desires, those will never die. They will never die. 
They cannot die. Because God's gift to you is eternal life. Not as a future event, but now. Because the life that is in, inscripted within you, that life is the very life of God in you. And that life cannot die. And that life is eternal. And it is God's guarantee to you when you have that life and you know whether you have that life. It is God's guarantee you, to you that you will have a new body, a resurrection body. It's the deposit guaranteeing your full salvation. So I ask you this morning, do you have that new life? Do you have that resurrection life in you right now? Does it flow through your veins? One of our hymns spoke about that this morning. Does that living water in you inspire you and motivate you and thrill you and turn your world, as it were, upside down? Well, actually, it's the right way up. But we tend to put it the other way around, don't we? Do you rest your life, your soul, in Christ as the resurrection and the life? Do you believe in him? Do you believe in him? Do you lean upon him? Do you rest in him? Do you look to him? I hesitate to say, do you pray to him? Because that makes it kind of just very, you know, quarter of an hour in the morning, five minutes, somewhere else, maybe not even that long, maybe no! Certainly that may be part of your life. But the life of Christ in you is a new life. It's an everyday life. It's an every moment life. There isn't a moment that goes by when Christ is not with you. And in some way you are talking to him and living your life because you love him. You're not always conscious of his presence, but you are conscious that you belong to him and want to honour him with the life that you live. So does that describe you? Oh, I want it to. The Lord wants it to. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock. The door will be open to you. It will be. If you knock. And God is good to his promises. I'll just close with one last thought. My friends, whenever you share the gospel, whenever you speak about Jesus in some context, you go out in the power of God, the God who raises the dead. You see, it's like as if we go to the graveyard. I, I, when I was pastor here, I would spend hours in the Hanley Cemetery uh, over there. I, I didn't literally preach the gravestones. Um, that'd be foolish, wouldn't it? Well, well, yes, it would, that would be foolish. But in essence, that's what we do. When we speak about Jesus, we speak to dead people. 
We speak to dead people who don't understand. And we know they don't understand, but still we speak. Why? Because our words and the words of truth and the gospel have the power to raise the dead. The power to bring life to the dead as Jesus brought life to Lazarus. And that's why we do what is foolish. We share the gospel to people who aren't interested. To people who have so many other loves in their life. Because our words, however feeble they are, however funny they come out of our mouth, when we speak of the Lord, it is with the power of God. And our prayers are that God will use those words to raise the dead and speak life, just as Jesus spoke it to Lazarus. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the one you sent from heaven to be our Saviour and Lord. There is none like him in all the earth. And by your grace we have come to love him and trust in him and lean our soul and our entire lives upon him. Like the disciples we say, let us go with him and die with him if that's what it means. Because for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we should not wish to live a single moment longer than that which brings glory to your name. Lord, help us to live in the fullness of your love for us, that we may live aright in this world. And help us to speak whenever we have opportunity, that you may raise the dead, Lord, and bring many into your kingdom. For your glory's sake. Amen.